Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our second uh, episode of Jerry Talks. Adrian, how are you? Good morning. Feeling great. Thank you. Adrian, we have a very special guest today. Yes, we do. Um, we we have uh, Keith Wilpley. Uh, Keith is a graduate from NMSU. He studied uh, and practiced at journalism before starting his own uh, publishing company at, um, and Southwest Senior Monthly, uh, published in Las Cruces and El Paso. The paper focused on senior health and lifestyle issues. Keith, thank you very much for coming today. I'm excited to be part of this uh, this new podcast. Oh, very well. Thank you very much. You know, and um, we, we're excited today because one of the things that I talked to Keith and to Adrian, I really wanted to give an introduction to our podcast regarding some some changes of aging, some concepts, some uh, numbers on how um, society will need to live with this aging population and how some of the changes that we're seeing now and some of the future changes that we're seeing, that we will see in the near future. I want to start with a little phrase here that I read, and uh, I think that it will be a, get a, a great introduction to our podcast today. It says, the world is facing a situation without precedent. We soon will have more older people than children and more people at extreme old age than ever before. As both the proportion of older people and the length of life increase throughout the world, key questions arise. Will population aging be accompanied by a longer period of good health, a sustained sense of well-being, an extended, I'm sorry, an extended periods of social engagement and productivity, or will be associated with more illness, disability, or dependency? How will aging affect healthcare and social costs? Are these future inedible, or can we act to establish a physical and, and social infrastructure that might foster better health and well-being in older age? Keith, I think these are huge um, areas you know, of concern, obviously, for uh, current healthcare, current society, because no doubt we're getting older. As a publisher of a senior paper, I saw that a lot. I went to a, a lot of seminars, but most importantly, I spoke with a lot of people. Um, in, the, in their own life context, and I, and I saw how they were aging uh, in place, and um, it's interesting to see the number of uh, s senior citizens that are sort of, um, uh, as they enter the old age uh, area, arena, whatever you want to define that as, uh, they're more technologically savvy. However, their parents, they're taking many of them are still taking care of their parents that aren't so technologically savvy. And so when you talk about how we address this, um, uh, and I, I was reading an article this morning about um, technology and how that's going to help us, you still have an aging population that doesn't, um, do doesn't engage with technology. So it becomes very difficult. However, I think we're laying, setting the stage for the next generation who, who is more technologically savvy. People like me, you know, I'm 60 years old. Um, I'll be part of the group that can go online and, and, and look for those kinds of things. But it's going to be a challenge, I think, through this transition area because we have a whole lot of uh, senior citizens who aren't technologically savvy. Um, and so reaching those people, Adrian, that's, uh, that's hard for, for everybody to reach these people. Um, so it is a challenge for you healthcare providers. Correct. No, I agree. I agree. And especially knowing that, you know, you know you're thinking about, you know, this is going to be something that it will be something that human being the human you know human being have we have not seen and you know in the next five years the number of people 65 and older will outnumber children under age of five so obviously and that's something that we have never seen we're not prepared about it and um 
And obviously, that's associated with obviously increased uh, life expectancy and uh, any and increase uh, and decrease the number of uh, and decrease the number of uh, uh, pregnancies, I guess, fertility. Um, one one of the other the other challenges is that as you have more senior citizens and fewer children to take care of them, it leaves a lot of them sort of out there by themselves. The older they get, they don't have a family to sort of pull them in and take care of them. And so it becomes society's. Uh, problem or issue that they have to deal with um, and how do we reach these people as society how do we keep them more engaged um, so as the number of seniors increases and the number of people who traditionally would take care of them decreases there's where the problem's going to lie that's true and i think you, you see a lot of this adrian uh, in oh, your definitely. work environment you know family struggling you know obviously to take care of their loved ones. Yes, it's highly unbalanced right now, even even to this day, mm -hmm. when it comes to the uh, the younger demographic taking care of the older demographic. Mm -hmm. uh, we're running out of folks. You're, right. you're very much right. I noticed that just in the type of caregivers that I hire, a lot of them are more uh, you know, older mm -hmm. in, in, yeah. in, their, in their age as compared to uh, 10 years ago when I was hiring a lot younger right. folks, nursing students and stuff like that. They're, they're just not av as available as they used to be. Right. Um, for instance, when uh, right now we're dealing with um, uh, my, my wife's mother, um, who's, who's moved into the, uh, uh, an assisted living. And, and I think we're, we see, we have seen a lot of people um, uh, who resist moving into that. They want to live at home. Mm -hmm. And this is another challenge that's going to be faced, is that people want to live the rest of their lives in their homes, with their, as close to their families and their circle of friends that as they can possibly be. Because once you reach that place um, like um, an assisted living center, I think uh, intellectually, mentally, emotionally, people start getting their uh, their lives in order f for the next phase, which is passing right. on. Yeah. Um, and I think the longer you can stay in these um, family situations, these social situations, and outside of the, the these group homes where you've got so many other people who are who are who are struggling, um, I think uh, the longer you can keep them out, the longer they the longer they live. Yeah. And I think there's actually a growing trend in noticing the type of institutional or, or facility type care that is starting to uh, incorporate more of a lifestyle uh, right. of approach. The um, intentional living. The um, intentional living, um, it, yes. And I've read, I've read so much about this. What's happening is it's sort of the hippie movement. Right. You know how the hippies thought this communal living. Communal, correct. Uh, but it didn't work. I was talking to one senior <laughs> who was a hippie. She says, uh, let me give you, let me tell you, it didn't work then. But now they're, now these people are saying, okay, well, let's take that model and see if we can mm -hmm. make it work in mm -hmm. our senior years. Mm -hmm. We're all single. We're all mentally uh, vibrant. We may not all be physically vibrant. Some of us are some of us aren't but if we can all collectively move to one place and the physically vibrant can take care of uh you know roll my garbage out to the curb right. and that sort of thing i think i think there's going to be some strong experience experiments that way i don't know if it'll work but you're already seeing communities like that pop up i've been seeing it already ha happen in santa fe mo mostly mm -hmm. here in yeah. new mexico and texas it's a little bit different uh, uh i think i think it's just the amount of space in between yeah. you know causes a, a I difficulty think the me as a geriatrician you know the most uh, the most that i see you know patients being concerned is losing independency mm -hmm. i think that's huge you know yeah. and you start losing independency the moment that you know maybe you you know you know you may not be able to drive that's sure. that's huge obviously and you know and i see that you know that's kind of the main concern is when you're saying about moving to assisted living you know right away you know you that's kind of the potential threat you know 
about uh, already starting to lose independency, and obviously that's what the main concern of uh, most of my patients. Is, is the loss of dependency something that's tied to their physical um, wellness, or is it tied to maybe their emotional wellness? I think both, to it's be a honest. It's sure of both. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's both, yeah. you know, obviously it's case by case, uh, yeah. but, uh, but obviously, you know, it could go either way for yeah. sure. I am noticing uh, that uh, a lot of the focus now when it comes to medicine, when it comes to facility type of care, senior care in general, it's heavily promoted on maintaining, if not regaining, some of that independence. Mm -hmm. It's not uh, focusing on what you've lost. It's focusing on what you can keep and what you can regain. Correct. Is, is that's the correct. model that, that right is now. correct. That yeah. is correct. And that takes uh, care care providers. I, you know, as somebody who's getting old, and, and I'm facing some of the issues that that people face when when they get old. That that's where good communication with healthcare providers. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody needs to tell me you don't need to lose your hearing so badly, or you don't need to lose your vision so badly. That's, but I wouldn't know that unless I'm communicating with good healthcare providers. Sure. sure. Yeah. You know, very quick, I just want to throw this number because obviously it's kind of huge. This is the number of people age 65 and older is projected to grow from an estimated of 524 million in 2010 to nearly 1.5 billion by 2050. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, it may increase uh, more in developed countries. So obviously, uh, huge concerns, you know, on the number of people, you know, getting older, especially when you have, when you refer to the old, old, that is the 85 yeah. and older, mm -hmm. you know, those are the highest uh, growing population, you know, as we speak, and it will be in the next, uh, in the next years. And especially the number of people living up to 100 is right. even higher. You know, right. to be honest, I always tell people here. 80s are the new 70s, 90s is the new 80s. Correct. You know, you cannot imagine how many people walking in this office on the 80s, 90s, and uh, and and they're doing well. They're 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 healthy. Some of them they're pretty healthy and they're still independent. So so obviously the life expectancy for sure is changing a lot. Mm -hmm. The uh, I remember my father. My father died at age 61. I'm I'm 59, going to be 60 this year, and he didn't look anything like I look. Um, right. Yeah. It's it's the quality of life. It's it's nutrition. It's physical education. Activity. Physical activity. Mm -hmm. um, he died at 61 because of a bad lifestyle. It was mm -hmm. something secondary to diabetes. Right. But but I wonder how many patients that doctors are going to be seeing in the next um, you know 10 years. Um, me, for instance, at, say I'm 70 and I don't look like the 70 of year old of today. Mm -hmm. But how long can you go before your body does start giving out or yeah. how, how how hard can you push back against old age well i guess you know I, you know i have said it before and i'm said it again you know for sure by far the key number uh, key number number you know the key advice, advice for healthy aging obviously is exercise mm -hmm. so you know um and i said it in one of the in one of the other tip tuesday you know that i um, I, somebody asked me one day, you know, what is my best advice for healthy aging? I said, exercise that I still believe that obviously that will keep your uh, muscle, uh, your, uh, your muscle function at the top. But, you know, uh, the patient came to me and said, you know, I don't agree with you, Dr. Duran. I think it's attitude. And I think, you know, that's, that's, that's huge. You know, how much, right, you, know, you know, right. you know, an attitude, you know, obviously depends, you know, how many people have come here that they're 60, that they feel that they're 80 and how many people in their eighties feel that they're 60. So, so yeah, I think you 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 did said well when we talked about you know exercise, nutrition, you know obviously controlling your uh, chronic medical conditions, mm -hmm. you know staying at the top on that for sure is key. 
let's not count out emotional well-being as well. Uh, you, you, we have the physical, the health care, but the, the mental status of, of, the, uh, of the senior citizen that uh, um, has a more of a support system or has a lot more access to uh, uh, education or a lot more access to information using the Internet, things like that. They, they really are studying themselves and feeling more confident that they could live longer, better lives. Yeah, I, I agree, and I I think one of the things that you know it, it has been um, it has been um, compromised. I guess this uh, uh, way of active and healthy living of older adults is the increased prevalence of dementia or mm-hmm. Alzheimer's. Right, right. For sure, you know that's um, that has changed. Uh, you know, you know the lifestyle and potentially the the long term uh, future of some of the some of the uh, some of these people. Not only because uh, it creates. Um, you know, have economic and social burden to the system, to their families, to uh, to the patient. Uh, and where we're saying that obviously the older you get, the more prevalent it is. You're talking about people 85 and older, they have a prevalence of 30, 20, uh, 25 to 30% they will develop some type of dementia. Is there any way that you can push back against that um, in your lifestyle as you're younger, as you're getting older? If, is it is it um, written in the leaves, written in in stone that you will get dementia or what are some of the things that you can do as a young person? Um, say I'm taking care of my mom and dad and I, I'm seeing them get dementia. I'm thinking to myself, how can I prevent that from happening to me? What can I do to my lifestyle to, 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 to minimize the possibility? Well, no doubt, you know, definitely, you know, have been shown that, you know, the same lifestyles that you do to preserve and, you know, for other problems like cardiovascular disease or preventing mm-hmm. uh, the risk of stroke, same things you can do for uh, prevalence of preventing dementia. You know, like, you know, if you have high blood pressure, controlling your blood pressure, controlling your diabetes, exercise, diet, controlling your cholesterol, those risk factors have been shown that, you know, there also could be risk factors for dementia and controlling those risk factors have some effect on preventing uh, right. uh, some dementia. Again, there are different types of dementia. We'll, we'll go in through that, uh, maybe some, some, other, uh, some other podcast, but you know, there's some uh, uh, dementias that they may be genetic, they may inherit, mm-hmm. inherit, that you know, that obviously those potentially could be harder to prevent, uh, but it's still 80% of the dementia these days is a mix, it's a combination. Even people with Alzheimer, they have some type of vascular dementia. So uh-huh. those vascular dementia, the risk factors that potentially could be the same as any cardiovascular disease that you can potentially help prevent them. Yeah. I wanna, uh, something you said, Adrian, that, that I wanted to comment on as well, because I see it in, in my current experience, but it's the emotional well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of folks who are, are put in a position of having to care for their parents, they, 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 um, they forget the little things. They're, they're right. always working on the big things. And the little things, I mean... Taking um, taking somebody who you're in you're caring for for an ice cream, or taking them to a movie, or mm-hmm. taking them to a dog show, or taking them to something that um, seems small and trivial in your life because you're young and you're trying to get things done, but to that person, that can in terms of their their, their mental health and their emotional well being that can that can last a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talk about it and they remember it. Right. Um, and in my own experience, we're finding that those little things, and we never would have thought it because we were thought they were too little. But mm-hmm. um, we found a, a favorite a place to go for ice cream. We brought we brought um, my wife's mother there, and she she loved it. She, she loved it. the ice cream. She mm-hmm. loved the engagement. She loved she loved and she talked about it forever. And she wanted to go again, so we took her again. Um, these kinds of things are huge when it comes to, to caring for, you know, 
exercises, uh, physical therapy is important. All these things are important. But I think we sort of forget the little things, the emotional things. You're very right. And, and there's an aspect of healthcare that's barely being touched upon. Some, some uh, uh, types of uh, services are utilizing this thing called motivational interviewing. It's mm. actually, uh, it, it's, it's brilliant in a way that it uh, gets the patient to buy into their plan of care. Uh, and it's not just doom and gloom. If you don't control your diabetes, you're going to get retinopathy. If you don't control right. your diabetes, they're going to take off your toes. No, it's if you controlled your diabetes, what would you do? Mm-hmm. If you were healthy and happy, what would you do? Uh, and and it's, it's, it's the flip. Uh, 10, 20 years ago, the focus was, well, show the patient what could happen in the negative way. Mm-hmm. And now instead, let's talk about what can happen in the positive way and work towards yeah. that goal. Mm-hmm. So that emotional, mental well-being is really, it's really taking more of a lead in healthcare right now. And that's mm-hmm. what I've noticed being in the industry. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. That's exciting. Um, you know, I wanted to um, throw a little bit of, uh, you know, it was interesting, you know, when we talked about, you know, humanity and aging and, you know, how the population is getting older, you know, we, we see, you know, some of the, um, some of these numbers, you know, here in the United States, but you go to, you suddenly see other countries and the problem with aging is even worse. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking about, you know, they said between 2010 to 2015, the number of older people in less developed countries is projected to increase more than 250% Compared to, compared with seventy one percent on developed countries, you know, like in China, in China the people that they're sixty five and older, you know, in uh, currently one hundred ten million is gonna increase to three hundred thirty million mm-hmm. by two thousand and fifty. Also, India, India, the um, the current older population is sixty million and is projected to exceed two hundred twenty seven million in two thousand and fifty. And increase nearly a 280 ne- uh, percent uh, from today. Is it by the middle of this century there could be a hundred million Chinese over the age of 80? This is, this is an amazing achievement, considering that there will be fewer than 14 million people this age on the entire planet just a century ago. Wow. So, so obviously, you know, this is, um, you know, we 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 obviously we concern about you know some of the changes here in the United States, but you know, this is a problem that is not national. This is a problem that is worldwide, obviously. Yeah, I wonder how, um, as a nation, you can come up with a model that can be moved over to every nation. Um, one of the, I mean, you, you can't say these figures without wondering about why this is happening, and of sure. course, the fertility love, the f- fertility in, in all these countries are going down, and what you're finding is that. Uh, as countries become more developed, fertility rates go down, and mm-hmm. fertility rates means the ch- number of children. I think, I think we have 1.8 or 1.18 um, uh, child per per, uh, per per female. In Mexico, they have 2.1, um, so they're they're a lot higher than us. They're they're almost double uh, us, but it's still pretty low. Um, but why are our people not having children? And that's important, an important question because we need those people to take care of the aging uh, population. Yeah. And I think when it comes about, you know, culture, you know, like in Mexico, I believe for original from Mexico, um, you know, you know, older adults tend to live with uh, their children and not mm-hmm. that, you know, it's a trend that is happening here, obviously more, but obviously, you know, they're, um, you know, as you said, there are more children, so they're more eventually more more people to take care of them and of course you know in mexico there's no there's no long-term care facilities we don't have assisted living we don't have nursing homes some of these elderly uh, parents they don't have another option rather right. than just going to with their kids it, it has something to say when you when you're thinking about more developed 
countries mm-hmm. as opposed to underdeveloped countries and how the underdeveloped countries seem to have more reverence for their seniors right, right. And, and their older population. They take better care of them, in my opinion. You and know? that goes to staying relevant, letting yeah. them stay relevant in mm-hmm. the day-to-day of, of family operations. Correct. I mean, one thing that I was discussing just a few minutes ago with a patient, and I think that's something that, you know, when we talked about the culture of aging, and that's something that we are seeing these days, is that, you know, my generation, you know, for sure, I learned how to respect elders. And um, that's something that I, it was part of my education. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I, I guess, you know, with all good exceptions, sometimes that's not the case anymore. And, you know, we think that, you know, I think we see sometimes, you know, this lack of respect to the elders these days. And that's something that obviously, you know, it needs to change. It needs to change mm-hmm. some way, somehow. I think in the United States, the culture of pushing your, your uh, elders away uh, is probably more dominant than in Mexico. Um, I've, I've worked with uh, many people who were um, Americanized Mexicans mm-hmm. who spend so much time and money making sure they go back home to Mexico to visit their families. Mm-hmm. In America, there's not that connection, that long-lasting connection. Uh, the farther away they get, the less the less they think or even want to see their their, their seniors. Um, and yet, th- th- there's another problem right there. When you have a uh, when your mom and dad live in Houston, and you live here in Las Cruces, for instance, and you go to Houston, and say, "Well, you're you're too old. You got to live near us." Uh, there's going to be heck to pay because Correct. that's their family. That's where they've grown. That's where their um, their social uh, circles are. Move them to a, a new city, and then that sort of triggers maybe a downward decline uh, mm-hmm. in in their well being, their emotional well being. I agree. You know, I think you know people ask me all the time. You know, kids come to visit parents here to Las Cruces, and you know, and they ask me, well, by the way, you know. Uh, we would like to move uh, my parents back to North Carolina. And I said, you know, I always tell patients, you know, believe me, uh, you'll be better close to kids. Um, uh, you know, I'm happy that you have kids that they want to they wanna be with you. They want to take care of you. Not every people can say the same. And, um, and yeah, that's, uh, that is a struggle, you know, of uh, some of the people that they have lived for many years here. Kids are outside Las Cruces. They want to stay in the community but eventually they, they can for X or Y. Right, right. You know, we're talking back to the um, um, to the aging in the world. You know, actually the World Health Organization has a study that is called the, the, the World Health Organization Study on Global Aging and Adult Health. It's called the SAGE study. And they're actually studying, it's a multi-country longitudinal study designed for just collect data all around the world from, from uh, six different countries, 50 years and older. And they're collecting data between, you know, risk factors, you know, they're doing a health exam, you know, they're doing biomarkers, you know, and, and they're trying to comp, you know, compare different countries and, and different uh, and trying to collect data from the from this uh, from these places. I think hopefully, you know, eventually from them, you know, we can, you know, find out some data that will be helpful, that it maybe some data that it could be happening here, that eventually they can take that data to some somewhere else and some other countries. As we said, you know, the aging uh, uh, population for some of these countries may be more of a big problem than the one that we have here. Yeah. You know, Doctor, one of the things I'm curious about is is in the patients that you see, um, when you see um, children bringing their moms and dads in for checkups, do you see the same lifestyle characteristics with the children that you're seeing, that you see with their patients? No, I don't. And, you know, and, and it depends, you know, I think the older generation, we're talking about the people that are right now in their 80s or 90s, you know, there were people that usually... 
Um, some of these people they grew up in the farm. So they were mm. pretty active. You know, they were pretty active. You know, they, you know, I always kind of laugh a little bit because when they were younger, you know, they're starting drinking, you know, like um, the milk, you know, directly from the cow. And people were concerned about tuberculosis and we were concerned about all these things. And, and would, just to find out today that we're eating, you know, fast food that may be way much worse than what they were eating before. So these people were pretty active. We we're pretty healthy. You know, a lot of them, you know, especially the male population, you know, they joined the military. So they were, very, you know, they're still, they stay pretty physically active. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it depends. Obviously, some of the newer generations, I think they're going more into the into the exercise. But I think the diet is a big factor. Oh, I think it's, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I think diet, you know, for sure, by far, you know, it has has changed the way that we live. Obviously, the, the risk of obesity, uh, you know, in the elder has increased drastically, uh, yeah. you know, just because of the type of diet and obviously lack of uh, lack of exercise. You know, even in my own situation, Adrian, I was, um, I had some heart issues, as you know, um, that I've had to deal with. And one of the, even though you don't like going through heart issues, one of the things, a true positive in this all is I completely converted my diet. Mm-hmm. I got rid of fat. I got rid of processed foods. I got rid of uh, sugars, simple carbohydrates. And doctor, you're right, because the minute you start changing your diet, it doesn't take long before you start feeling better. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I think it, it's, it's even faster than exercise. You know, I exercise a lot. Right. And I tell you what, doing the flip on my diet, I started feeling a lot better than I, uh, in a shorter amount of time than, than changing my activity level. Um, and I've done both. And I have to say the the, the one silver lining in having this heart issue is that I've flipped my diet mm-hmm. and in so many other ways made myself healthier. People underestimate, you know, I recently did myself, you know, I cut down on carbs. I did no carbs for two months mm-hmm. and uh, because I was feeling pretty tired for if I think I will come to my wife and said, you know, I feel tired. You know, I'm 44. You know, there was no reason why I should feel tired. Um, and I did two things. I actually cut down on carbs and increased the amount of water that I drink. Mm-hmm. I started drinking more water. And, you know, and um, and it was drastic, to be honest. It was, you know, really made me feel way much better, well more energized. For the people that are hearing out there, we have said it in Tip Tuesday, please <laughs> drink water. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that's far, far. We don't drink enough water. I always, actually, I was, I was read once that I always, uh, it's kind of interesting that, you know, like every morning, somebody like me, you know, we drink a coffee and we feel like, oh, we drink coffee and we feel a little bit better. The reality, you need to understand that, you know, most of, you know, most probably you're, have been without a glass of water for probably eight to 12 hours, haven't drink anything. So guess what? You wake up pretty dehydrated. Mm -hmm. And you know, people do the math on this. Well, I didn't drink water, but I had Coke. I had a, you know, I had two Cokes or I had a cup of coffee, two cups Mm -hmm. of coffee. So doesn't that count? No, actually not because you know, some of these things are pretty diuretic. So, you know, right. drink coffee, they'll, they'll it'd be a diuretic too. Yeah. So, I mean, it's true. Your body is the first person to reward you for your for your lifestyle change, right? It's going to reward you for yeah. for making the good decisions. And it's also going to punish you for making the bad decisions. Right. You're, you have to take care of it. And your body's, a, the bo- human body is an amazing thing. If you just do the right thing, um, it, it wants to do good. It mm-hmm. w- really wants to do good. Mm-hmm. And I learned that with my own heart condition. Mm-hmm. I flipped my diet and the, my, 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 my uh, uh, general practitioner, she was amazed because I was actually, I'm, you know, you may not know this, but I was, I was diagnosed pre-diabetic. Oh, I, I wasn't know. heavy, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I drank a lot of sodas and I drank, I had a lot of things. I learned about inflammation and maybe mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mm-hmm. didn't know much about what inflammation really was. Mm-hmm. But anyway, had the test done again it went away, not even close to being pre-diabetic. Oh, so fantastic. it moves that fast. Yeah, I mean, it does. Do good by your body. It will do good by you. 
I was, uh, when I was in, when talking about inflammation, when I was in medical school, I had uh, a teacher for immunology. Uh-huh. And she used to say, this is obviously like 25 years ago, she said like everything, believe me, Dr. Duran, well, Roberto, believe me, Roberto, uh, you know, eventually everything will have an inflammatory. It will be all related to inflammation. How right she was, you know, for sure. Now right. everything, we know that inflammation plays big factor on most of all, on most of them, the and, all diseases. And when, when somebody like me hears it, uh, the yeah. lay people hear it, we think inflammation. Oh, you got a big red spot on your right, hand. Right. I think, you know, I don't have any red spots yeah. in my hand. What's he talking about? Inflammation. But it's, you know, simple sugars you, you oh, drink yeah. cause inflammation inside. You'll never see it. Yeah. But it's causing inflammation. You know, it's a little more complicated right, than right. what we thought. Um, Let's talk a little bit about, about uh, uh, living longer. As we said, you know, obviously um, we, we have, uh, you know, obviously we're living longer. And, you know, the life expectancy right now, you know, average, I guess, uh, for, uh, here for this country is 81 uh, years old. Compared to other countries, like developed countries like Japan, is like 83 years old. Mm-hmm. So, and obviously that changed bets on ethnicity, male or, male or female. So obviously that's kind of an average. But obviously has been, you know, there are a couple of factors obviously that has changed too much. You know, obviously, you know, children, they don't die as they used to. And obviously vaccination has been a big part of humanity. You know, uh, how much we have been able to decrease uh, these infection diseases, you know, as uh, uh, with vaccinations. You know, we, we talked about, you know, now we can vaccine, you know, millions of people were saved due to the vaccines of smallpox, uh, polio, and other major childhood killers like missiles. But also, you know, there's better lives, uh, better living standards. You know, the water is cleaner. Um, nutrition is better. So obviously that has reduced tremendously uh, Technology uh, that, and that, uh, mortality of uh, children mortality. Yeah. You know, and at the same time, you know, as you said, Adrian, you know, mortality, uh, the technology has made us live longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for sure, a lot of uh, advances in medicine, mm-hmm. um, you know, for good or bad, but obviously they have, uh, they have increased our life expectancy. One thing that I was reading that I was uh, kind of interested in is, you know, how much, you know, it seems to be that, you know, we're living longer. What it will be what is the real lifespan of human being? <laughs> like for how long? The we question can is live? the the quality, not the quantity. It's, right, right. Do you like, want to live that long? Do you want to live that <laughs> exactly, that exactly. Yeah. And, and and they said, you know, there was uh, some some experts assumed that we're approaching the upper limits, but data from life expectancies from between 1940 and 2007 show a steady increase, averaging about three months of life per year. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you know, I, th- I think going back to what we just said um, about quality of life and whether you want to live that long, you see, um, I had, a, um, I had uh, some family that lived till close to 100, and I remember my grandmother, and I remember her looking in the newspaper for obituaries. There came a time when she just, all of her friends were gone. Mm-hmm. Um, all of her, you know, her family, of course, they had their, their young lives, they had kids to raise, and here she was in Florida, and her, her husband had passed. And you start wondering, is living longer really um, what it's all cracked up to be? I mean, there where's comes the a time. Where's the benefit? You, you want to go to that place where your friends are and your family are right. uh, who've gone before you, whether you believe in that or not. But, but you start thinking that way. And I know she started thinking that way. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the upper limits may be a limit we don't want to go. I think I've seen something culturally that's changed a, a, a gigantic shift uh, uh, between the generational differences mm-hmm. is is the spiritual well-being of, of the individual. I mean, we, we can talk about physical, we can talk about mental, emotional. Uh, when I take my daughter uh, to, to, to church, she's in catechism, 
uh, before then I wasn't going to church, mm-hmm. but now that I have to take her because the catechism class is requiring it, mm-hmm. um, I noticed there's a huge change in, in, in the, in the ages there. What are you saying? What uh, are it's more senior oriented. There's more older people there mm, at church than there are people like my age, you know, with young families, mm-hmm. smaller, younger families. It's, it's, it's more of a, a shift towards the older population. And, and that kind of gets me thinking, well, okay, so when you're talking about the quality of life or, or when you're losing your loved ones, your friends, and you're starting to become a little bit more sheltered, a little mm-hmm. uh, uh, less outgoing because your social circle is just diminishing, does that mean you know people tend to turn more towards the, the spiritual side, something that's the constant? They look for answers. They look for answers. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the reality, church... Uh, Oh, Sunday Mass becomes kind of a very important social sure. activity for yeah. a lot sure. of people, especially for people who cannot drive, you know, family, you know, they become like a family yeah. kind of event that, you know, they go and pick up mom and, you know, they take her to church and sometimes, you know, they go after that, they go for lunch. So obviously it becomes uh, like a big social event. And if it's, a, if it's a good, healthy church, then you have people um, who may not be family, but they'll check up. Correct. They'll make sure you're okay. They didn't see you uh, where they normally see you, and then mm-hmm. and then they'll check up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in your in Adrian, in your business, you probably see this a lot, and that is um, um, kids, the children of of seniors. Maybe they're close to a hundred, who um, who for their own purposes, for their own well being, want their parents to live longer. Mm-hmm. But the parent is of the mind, um, you know, I'm I'm not crazy. I'm not mm-hmm. uh, demented. Um, I, I just—it's time for me to go. Yeah. And yet you have family just fighting and arguing about how you can make this person live longer. Sure. Um, and, and I'm sure you've had to had to um, school some some oh, uh, some kids you, about. My grandmother was a perfect example of that. Yeah. She uh, was a nurse. My mom's a nurse. So uh, all our life, she did not. She was a DNR from age 50 on up. She mm-hmm. just said, if it's my time to go, it's my time to yeah. go. Don't make me stay around any longer than I need to. You know, uh, that kind of mentality, it's not just with her. I do see it often in my line of work. When people are ready to go, they're ready to go. And that's, that's and a the kids difficult don't wa- conversation. And the kids don't want to oh, let them go. They'll hold on forever, yeah. as much as they possibly can. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah I agree. Um, so I guess the, the question, the next question that I have for you guys is, are we living healthier as we as well as longer lives, or are we or our additional years are spent in poor health? And of course, you know that talks to a little bit about the disability, and um, and and obviously when it comes to disability, you know it's a major concern obviously for healthcare. Uh, but believe it or not, the United States between 1982 and 2001, severe disability actually fell about 25%. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course, this is not disease related. You know, I'm pretty sure that when it comes to dementia it may not be the case. Um, but I guess, you know, some of those trends have been starting to change, not only because of the increased risk of dementia, but also the increased risk of obesity. Sure. And that's something that obviously we talked uh, just a few minutes ago, you know, how do I see that, you know, obesity obviously brings, you know, obviously potentially major risk factor like right. diabetes, cardiovascular disease, increased risk of stroke, all of this, even diabetes, all these medical problems that, you know, obviously you increase your risk of uh, uh, disability. I think that kind of returns right back to that quantity, quality issue. Um, with, with healthcare and what we're seeing right now, and socially here in the United States, I think the quality of those years has improved. 
right. to be completely honest. It, it, it's improved on so many levels that there's more senior-oriented programs than we've ever had before, and there could be more, but there's more now. Uh, there's more um, assistive devices to continue to stay mobile, mobile and independent and to be able to go out and live an active lifestyle, even if you are disabled to a point where you uh, 15, 20 years ago would not have had the opportunity to go out. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, yeah, now that we're living longer, we do still have uh, a lot of good health and a lot of good uh, abilities to get out there. And, and, and the model active. is going to be pushed by the, by the new generation of senior citizens. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like every new generation of senior citizen is pushing the model. And I think we're going to get we're going to see those communities develop, sure. um, and people are not going to. I think fewer and fewer people are going to be in assisted living, probably through healthier lifestyles, because their their kids generally are healthier. Hope they're they're living healthier lifestyles, but they're going to they're going to see what mom and uh, dad went through and what grandma and grandpa went through, mm -hmm. and they're going to say we don't want that. Right. And and they're going to move the model socially so that they can stay at home. I agree. I think the age at home, you know, trend. This is obviously is huge right now. And, um, and, you know, that's why we have seen a lot of other uh, technologies and, you know, technology companies trying to, you know, obviously right. keep that, like obviously here, the electronic caregiver here in Las Cruces, mm -hmm. right. you know, that obviously they're kind of entrepreneurs and, uh, uh, you know, on this, uh, you know, keeping people at home. I, I really feel the tech-savvy senior is going to be the biggest thing uh, coming up here in the near future. Right. Uh, we are currently we're we're taking care of the greatest generation. They're they're the generation that fought in the wars and did not have the computer chip or the yes. microchip like mm -hmm. like the the subsequent generations have invented and implemented. Uh, there's so many uh, people here in, in our city alone that work for NASA, that work for White Sands Missile Range, that are brilliant minds, right. technologically savvy And they, they have the pad that you have. Correct. Um, everyone has a pad or a they phone. Do. yeah. Um, and they know how to, how to use it. Yeah. Um, better than me, a lot of the people I know who are older than me can use it better than me. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to, uh, you know, conquer the curve at some point. You still Facebook? You know what you're doing? I well, <laughs> you're socially active. <laughs> right, right. You know, that's the other thing. Uh, Facebook does that really count as socially active? I, I mean, it, do you does. think it? I don't it think does. it does. It, it, well, let's it, ask it, the it, expert uh, opinion. No, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, socially, you know, socially is interact face to face with somebody, sure, not with sure. a screen of a right. A I agree computer. with that. I think when we first discovered Facebook, when it first came out, we thought, aha, this is how ma mom and grandma can stay. Active, right, right. But it just builds so much anxiety, mm -hmm. and just sitting across from somebody and talking to them is just yeah. so much more important. Yeah, I, th I think it, it does help, obviously, especially when you are able to do FaceTime with somebody. Uh -huh. I think that's pretty unique, obviously, especially uh -huh. if you're far. Uh, but yeah, from there to socializing, that's that's a whole Doctor, different story. Have, have you ever asked your patients to, to to turn off the computer when they go, when just to reduce their anxiety? Because I know when I turn off Facebook, my anxiety level goes way down. <laughs> um, have you ever prescribed that? I haven't it? prescribed, but you know, I can I can tell you that I hear a lot of times a lot of stories about people spending hours in front of the computer, right? Mm -hmm. Because you know, because of their limited mobility, sometimes. Mm -hmm. Right. So mm -hmm. that's where they interact. That's where they play. That's where they watch. Right. Videos, you know, and you the know. anxiety level skyrockets. Yeah, I, it's, right. it's so nice to turn off the device. So, so one other thing that I wanted to talk to today is obviously about the cost of aging and the cost of uh, of healthcare. And then, obviously, as a population aging is likely to influence the pattern uh, the patterns of healthcare spending. 
And I think, you know, in developed countries uh, like here, you know, the care is suddenly more expensive because, we you know, we have more technology, we have more institutions, we have more uh, long-term care facilities compared to potentially other other countries that may not have this one. Um, and, and especially when it comes to technologies, I think, you know, patients, uh, you know, here in developed countries, they do have a lot of options suddenly. You know, something happens to you, you have a medical problem, and you can do A, B, C, or D, uh, compared to other countries that may have the, those those options, and and you know and that's had been like a major concern recently. I read, you know how expensive like it is the care of uh, just one hospital bed. You know one right, hospital night. Right. It's just it's just the amount because they were saying that most of the healthcare that we're spending also is going uh, to the hospitals, and um, so yeah, I I think you know finding and that's a whole different podcast for sure. But you know finding different models of care you know on take or how to take care of these uh older adults you know is gonna be huge and that's something that you know i know that the health insurances hospitals you know uh, societies you know are working on 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 trying to provide better uh better care but these uh models of care you know they're gonna need to change and uh to better provide uh, service for the seniors sure and the cost of living hasn't gone down Right. The, the life expectancy has gone up. Right. The cost of living hasn't gone, gone down. And uh, now we're seeing our, our aging population that saved up with our 401ks or their savings. Mm-hmm. And they're living longer than what they had expected. Right. Yeah. So they're having to be really, really tight with their with their yeah. pocketbook. That it, it, it's it's not gotten any better. Um, there's not a lot from my standpoint that I've seen that's improving in that area other than the senior population themselves tackling it on see we we have this wonderful generation that they see a problem they go at it they don't just shy away from it and they're in the process of coming up with ways of communal living like you had said earlier where we share in our costs of of living establishments and we are able to take care of each other in, in an aspect you know, um, that's going to be that's going to be the driving force, and you see it more um, when you put somebody into an assisted living facility. You're probably looking at five thousand dollars a month. Yes. Uh, people don't have that kind of wealth. There's a lot. Of, there's a huge segment that just don't have that that kind of wealth, and so that's really it's good to be more than oh we wish we had a commune to live in. Mm-hmm. It would we have to find a way to live. We have to find a different way to live because we can't afford a five thousand dollar a month outlay to be in assisted living. Um, as far as the, the the doctor's visits, I mean, all that goes down to the, the healthier living. I mean, mm-hmm. prevent the possibility of having to go to the emergency room um, or to go to uh, go to the hospital, and and that can only be done by um, a healthier living. Don't you think? I agree, and I think that's that's why the all health insurance uh, centers on Medicare. They're putting a lot of pressure of early detection and preventive medicine. You know, it like you know, I always said like you know, when you buy a car, you know, you're required to have insurance, mm-hmm. and that's you know, some point you know, obviously has been a lot of controversy regarding that, obviously. But you know, I do feel that you know, us as a person, you know, we need to take some responsibility and some accountability in our healthcare, uh, in our health. So I think that you know, early detection of diabetes, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease. I think those are the key factors. Obviously, screening for cancer. Uh, colon cancer, you know, breast cancer, you know, prostate cancer, whatever, you know, obviously those are going to be key factors, you know, for 
preventing this healthcare costs go sky high, especially, you know, we're talking about, we're just seeing, you know, this aging population, we're just starting to see the changes just, you know, in the next five, 10, 30 years, that's when it's going to hit us the most. We're just starting to feel it right now, Mm -hmm. but this is not close to where it's going to be in the next uh, few years. You you know, you're very right when you're talking about preventative maintenance. Insurances are really pushing for that preventative maintenance uh, to, to make it so that you don't have to draw so much on them in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a huge push with that through just private insurances and CMS alone that, that are focused on giving discounts, rebates if you are part of a gym or if you're, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you go to your doctor and you can verify that you're a non-smoker, you know, yeah. things like that that are allowing for insurances to kind of uh, open up a little bit more and, and accept a little bit more in the, in the final process. I think something that, you know, has always been shown to is that the late uh, part of your life uh, usually is that when you spend most of your money when it mm-hmm. comes to healthcare. Mm-hmm. Fortunate, you know, at least here in the United States has not changed very drastically in the last few years because of the increased uh, attention for patients and for uh, healthcare providers about advanced directives. I think that's something that, you know, obviously something that we as a geriatrician, we do push a lot about, you know, making sure that patients, they do have advanced directives and they do provide us with the, the decision about uh, when it comes to um, uh, end of life care. Uh, I think that's something that, you know, uh, we, we as healthcare providers, sometimes we provide uh, care that may not necessarily be needed or eventually may not be something that the patient would have liked. So I think, you know, advanced directive is something that, you know, it needs to, it needs to get better. It needs to get uh, more aware of the community, healthcare community, and also with the patients. That's definitely one of the weakest links, especially in my expertise, is financial security for, for, yeah. for senior citizens. Right. Um, it, it's so complicated, the different avenues that you can do for savings and, mm-hmm. and preparing for, you know, the, the retirement age. It's so complicated that even the people, every time I've, I've gone to a seminar and they have someone who's talking about uh, money management, wealth management, uh, those rooms are always packed right. because that is the one knowledge deficiency, I think, across the board where people are just dying for for answers and then there's there's the level of person below that too and there's a huge level of people who have no financial security right they will depend on family and social Mm -hmm. security Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the only place that they're gonna and so they're looking for uh, uh, Medicare what are they gonna uh, so that's how they're planning their future how long can they work because many people because they didn't plan are gonna have to work until they absolutely cannot work anymore. That's where the question comes up for, for Social Security to be raised from age 65 to 70. That, mm-hmm. That's a viable yeah. uh, it, viable it, question that'll be faced here very soon, I believe. I agree. And I think, you know, that's uh, something, you know, um, when it comes to um, older adults deciding to retire, I think, you know, he came to he came to at some point when Medicare said, you know, you're 65 and older, you will get Medicare. It becomes kind of the age for retiring. But, you know, uh, really was not related to health or it was not related to uh, how able you were able to do your work or not. You know, it seems to me that, you know, we kind of, as a society, we assume we're 65. Well, I guess it's time to retire. And I think that's something that, you know, uh, obviously, I think there should be a trend of uh, not necessary, you know, um, going to that path. You know, what's interesting also when I was uh, I was reading is um, 
uh, you know, the age of retirement, you know, as we said, you know, the life expectancy of after retirement uh, for average, obviously for a male is um, is uh, 18 years compared to a woman, a woman that is uh, 22 years. That's and, you know, difference. and the reality is I think that's this is something huge, especially when it comes financially, is that, you know, people, you know, re the reality you retired and uh, you have uh, many years to go. Uh, and you need to be prepared financially, uh, you know, uh, emotionally, physically, everything, you know, just uh, because, uh, you know, we're living longer. And that study is as of now. Could you imagine yeah. 10 years from now when yeah. we're needing to draw from this, uh, from these programs or from these, uh, these savings that I think that life expectancy is going to be even higher, you right. know, so we, we have to plan for that accordingly. Uh, and that's where talking with those types of you know, uh, wealth management or, or you know, uh, say savings folks will yeah. really help yeah. fill yeah. in those. And I think something that is um, that is um, um, miss uh, uh, that is not well understood is that you know I think uh, as we get older, you know, uh, we we do have the knowledge, we do have the skills. I think you know they have they could be very valuable for obviously for uh, certain companies or for work. You know, and and I think that's something that is misused uh, in the in in, in this workforce uh, workforce right now. Uh, and I think you know they should be more uh, more opportunities. You know, and 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 seniors and all their adults should be more welcome to provide that experience that they have in this uh, in current uh, in current times. What's happening? Um, I was we were just talking about this on a radio program that I was on earlier, um, and and that is how corporate America, believe it or not, is trying to incorporate. The, the senior with the young person because the mm -hmm. senior brings with it brings with them this this body of, of knowledge and this right. way of doing work and this way of engaging that young workers today out of college don't have and that's that um, that one-on-one -on -one, that handshake that eyeball to eyeball kind of experience um, that that is sort of being bred out of our children because mm -hmm. everything is so fast it's got to be texted it's got to be emailed. Um, no more phone calling. Nobody phone calls, uh, uses right. the telephone even it's anymore. Crazy, yeah. um, and so this corporate America movement is to move to move seniors into positions um, where they where they are in a, in a group, a team of young people, mm -hmm. and the young people can can learn from them, and the uh, seniors, the older people can learn from the young people. It's really an amazing thing because when corporate America recognizes that they can maximize profits by including senior citizens, mm -hmm. then that's that means that. that that, uh, that's going to grow some legs and, and crawl. Yeah, and for some some of the seniors that they're hearing, actually, something that I found very interesting is that, you know, uh, there is some evidence that staying at the in labor force after the age of 55 actually will slower uh, the the risk of uh, cognitive decline. So, so obviously, keeping staying at work you yeah. know, will have some advantages. Um, that that yeah. reminds me what you were saying, Keith. Uh, I had to look it up on Google. I wanted to get the name of the movie, The Intern. Have you seen that? Robert oh, yeah. De Niro. Oh, yeah. What a great, <laughs> That's a good movie. What That's a, a great movie. movie. And then the what you're talking about is so right. Yeah. Just in, in you know learning from uh -huh. people who have done it before, done it for decades, and uh -huh. then teach the younger generation. This is how we do. It. This is how you have a conversation right. with an actual human being. My daughter, who's a, who's a um, senior in, at NMSU now, and, and she says to me when I walk down the street in Las Cruces I've lived here for so long you know there's not invariably people are going to come up to me and start talking to me and she says dad how come everyone knows you I says well everyone doesn't just know me it's just our generation we talk right, right. And I said we didn't we didn't engage people on computer we 
we talk. We we go outside and we shake hands and we get involved and and uh, you know um, that's us older guys. Right. Yeah, right. This sure. is this is we what didn't, we didn't pass on to our yeah. kids. We didn't meet a stranger. We met a friend. Right. That's true. <laughs> that's true. And it's hard, you know, me as a parent uh, of young kids, you know, it's hard to kind of live this generation where they have so much technology and iPhones and iPads compared to my, you know, my generation, you know, my generation, you know, we go out, we play with neighbors, we ride bicycles, uh-huh. you know, now, you know, I see my kids, you know, on the iPads and then like, just go outside, well, get some sun out. And then there's the university model that where they want, they don't want kids to actually go to class anymore at the university. Uh-huh. They want to, they have these remote sites where they all can log on to their computer. Mm-hmm. And I told my daughter, I said, no, you're going to go to class and you're going to meet people. Right. right you're going right, to engage right. with your professors. It's not going to just be on the screen, mm-hmm. uh, which she did. And she enjoys that uh, much better. Uh, but but that's that's a model that's being pushed on our young people. And I think to to, to, to sort of wean them off that, it takes the senior population. It right. takes people our age. Right. Yeah, uh, that is correct. That is correct. I, I wanted to share something that you know, we discussed a little bit earlier. It's about, um, you know, obviously about... Um, um, living at home and and i think you know in the past living alone you know it was thought that it would be like a social isolation or family abandonment and, and as you said earlier you know the reality is that older adults some of them they do prefer to to stay in their own towns in their own communities even to obviously potentially live alone they have a you know some of them obviously that is related to a greater longevity expanded social benefits increased home ownership and um just you know, there's increased. Obviously, there's some of some of the, especially here in Las Cruces. There's a lot of communities that they're actually very friendly uh, to older adults, and um, that they emphasize in you know in activities, you know, social uh, social life. And they have you know some of the patients that I see, they have created very good friends. And mm-hmm. I think you know for them, for some of them, they're really hard to move. Yeah. And um, so I I think you know this um, as I said, going back to uh, living at home, I think that's. Uh, that's something that, you know, we're going to be seeing more and more and it's going to be pushed more and more. But I think it's something good. I think, you know, as you mentioned, long-term care facilities, not that I don't feel that they're, they're obviously they're, they're good for some people, but obviously it's something that we, especially our generation, we all trying to stay independent as much as we can. Let's not omit the vice versa of that as well. Uh, I work in home care and that's my specialty, but I do see many cases where I have to refer my client to a right. facility setting uh, just because of the lack of socialization when you're when you're stuck at home and if you don't have family visiting you often friends right. visiting you often that's the key is family mm-hmm. visiting mm-hmm. Um, because when we go visit uh, my wife's mother um, she has lots of family here visiting her we see people there who don't have any family visiting them mm-hmm. um, and and they're just hungry for some kind of engagement mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so um, but um, your, your industry is going to be fascinating over the next 10, 20 years. Oh, See how it evolves. Because yeah. I think more pressure is going to be on your style of, of caregiving uh, than on the existing style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I think when it comes back to uh, assisted living or uh, facilities... You know, I agree. I see so many times, you know, patients coming here saying mom is so isolated, maybe so lonely. And, you know, they some of these patients and then they move and they have been very social before and they move to these facilities and they do so well because they interact with a lot of people. They have mm-hmm. a lot of activities. Just the fact that just having a meal with somebody, mm-hmm. obviously, that, that yeah. that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Very well. Well, you know, I, I think it has been it has been 
great talk to you, Adrian. Do you want to add anything else? Anything else that we miss here Let today? Let me ask uh, Keith a question. Sure. Yeah. Okay. You, you've been doing the Southwest in your radio show. You did that, what, uh, 10 years, roughly? Yeah. About 10 yeah. years. Yeah. What was the, 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 the topic that got the most attention, the topic that got the most uh, uh, conversation started from it? Well, I'll tell you, uh, to be truthful, anything that had to do with health, no. Right. It always was something intellectual. Okay. It was always something um, maybe nostalgic. Uh-huh. Uh, but we always got the most response in the newspaper and on the radio because people, of course, they want they need to hear the health information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's not as fun as nostalgia. Right. Uh, remembering then, uh, way back then, or just something intellectual, mm-hmm. uh, maybe philosophical. Because um, we never stop be, being thinking people. We never stop wanting mm-hmm. to learn something. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes to learn, my grandpa taught me this. She said, sometimes when you're moving forward and you're lost, look backwards because you may find something that you didn't see before that will help you move forward. Wow. And I've done that so many times in my life where you just stop, look back and say, you know what? He's right. I mean, there's something I missed that can help me go forward. Right, right. Wow, so, that's wonderful. So yeah, that, that helps us uh, for future yeah. uh, podcasts. Sort of like, we got to be able ha- to Have you ever hiked? And ever just you're you're chugging along up the mountain and you're hiking and all of a sudden you stop, drink some water and then you take and then you turn back because you never saw it from that vantage point uh-huh. and it's just a whole different scene. It's beautiful, and so now you just when you hike now you should always stop, drink some water and look back because you see it in a different. Appreciate uh, what uh-huh. you've been right. able to do already. Right. Yeah, see that's beautiful. Well, that's very good. Thank Great. you very much for your shares. I just want to finish with something here that we wrote uh, um, just to kind of conclude. And he says, population aging is a powerful and transforming demographic force. We're only just beginning to comprehend its impacts and the national global and global levels. As we prepare for the new demographic reality, we hope this report raises awareness not only about the critical link between the global health and aging, but also about the importance of rigorous and coordinated research to close gaps in our knowledge and the need for action based on evidence-based uh, policies. I think, you know, this is a, kind of a good statement, you know, to get us into, you know, uh, give us some room for potential topics that we, you know, may, we may address in the future. And um, and for sure, you know, I always have been very excited about uh, aging and, uh, and uh, geriatric medicine. And I think, you know, that was one of the uh, main issues of the, uh, for Jerry Talks to, to really bring um, not only, you know, as we, as, as Keith was saying, not only topics of uh, healthcare, but also topics that eventually will be interesting to all our, all people who hear sure. us. Sure. And, and I really appreciate you, Keith, for coming in, helping us do I, this. It was fun. It was it, always... This conversation really sets the litmus for us to, to where we, we, <laughs> we can grow from, right? right. Uh, we, we addressed and touched on so much stuff topically. Yeah. That when the commenters, after they hear our, our podcast, they can come and say, expand on this, expand on that. Right. It gives yeah. us direction. Yeah. And and I don't think we could have done that with any other guests. So I oh, really thank you. appreciate, appreciate that. it. Thank yeah. you so thank much, you very Keith. much, Keith. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we really appreciate your time. Adrian, anything else that you would like to say? Adios. Very well, guys. Well, thank you very much for hearing us today. Uh, this is Dr. Duran, uh, Adrian, and thank you, Keith, for uh, being with us today. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Please remember to listen to us on Spotify and Google Play. Watch us at YouTube at Southwest Center on Aging. 
We can't do this podcast without your questions, so please feel free to leave comments on our channel, and we'll be more than happy to research and get back to you guys. And remember, let's celebrate aging.